If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Our guest today is Andrea Williams. Andrea's got a background in dressage, eventing and show horse and she's also now a dressage specialist trainer and coach. She's been an FEI dressage competitor. How are you today, Andrea? Very well, thanks. Good. Andrew, we start off with a favourite quote. Have you got one for us? Well, we have a lot of quotes here. I seem to run my life around quotes, <laughs> but probably my most used quote is that we never, never, never give up because we never know how close we are to success. I yeah. think that that's how we pretty much run our lives around performance horses because yeah. we're always faced with challenges and we just have to keep making decisions and moving forward towards the goals. So, yeah. Yep. That's something that we live by here. And I think in the horse industry, that's something that we all need to keep in mind is not to give up too quickly. Yeah, and not knowing how close you are to success too. You know, I think that's, yeah. that's yeah. always, you just keep going, don't you? Keep going, keep being persistent. Well, we do. Mm. We probably keep going when the others give up. <laughs> in doing that, we've had a lot of success. So yep. I think it works for us. And is that a regular thing that you say to your own students? Yeah, I do. I do. I have a few other things like we have what we call the five P's saying, which is proper preparation prevents poor performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's one I use a lot yep. with students to try and get them to understand how important it is to be well prepared. And the one that we probably use is in our training all the time is to train like you wish to compete and compete like you wish to train. Yeah. That there's no difference between what we're doing at home and what we do when we go out. Yep which yeah. is another thing that I try and stress. It helps reduce nerves and people feeling uncomfortable about competing if they're just trying to achieve what they do at home. Yes, yes, and think that if you're training, the competition's just a step in the right direction if you're training for the yeah. long term, isn't it? Yeah. And it's yeah. really just an opportunity to demonstrate what you can do at home. Yes, yes. So if you come out of the dressage arena or the show jumping arena and you've done the best you can do, which is as good as you do at home, then you can't do any better. And we always say if someone else does better, they must be doing better at home. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, that's a good one saying that. Mm. Tell us about your first early memories with horses and how you first started. I lived in East Gippsland and we didn't have land or anything, but my mother was a horse girl from when she was a child. Yep. And my grandfather had Clydesdale that they used to show at Sydney Royal. Okay. And she rode in all the shows up in the Riverina in New South Wales. And then when I was about seven, I went to a riding school and rode with an elderly gentleman who was a light horse man. So he was very strict. Mm -hmm. Basically got my first pony then and went to pony club with him. He took us to pony club and sort of gave us our start into the competition world on a beautiful pony that he had for us. And from then on, really, we just never stopped. We had ponies, galloways and hacks and all sorts of things. Do you remember your grandfather? What are your first actual memories, though? Well, I actually never met him because he mm -hmm. died quite early. 
he died when he was about 52. Okay. So I never met him, but obviously the, the love of horses came down through my mum and mm, to me. Mm, mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's, I really can't remember ever not having horses, and I can't remember ever not wanting to have a horse. Every <laughs> birthday before I was seven was, I want a horse. So yep, yep. it's just part of who I am, I think. Yeah, yeah, good. From that, you know, just having it and always always wanting horses and, you know, being part of who you are. Were you always going to work with horses or how did that work out? Well, probably if I had my time again, it might be different. But mm-hmm. I never thought I could work with horses because I just didn't think I was good enough. And, you know, there was always pressure to actually get a, a real job. So I did multiple degrees and went off and became an academic. But always my professional career was always about being able to supply the resources to be able to ride horses. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, no, it wasn't something that I thought I could do. But then in 2009, after working for a university for 20-something years, I was offered a redundancy. So that was my opportunity to change from having the horses as second to the horses as first. Yep, good. And re redid my life completely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had that opportunity now to pursue what I've always wanted to do. So yeah. for someone, a young person who came to you and said, I want to work with horses, what would you say to them as far as their core skills and character traits that they need to have to get started? Well, I think first and foremost, they really have to have a true love for horses. It's mm-hmm. not enough to just think you're going to make money out of them because it's just too hard. The days are too long and there's too much disappointment. So I think first you have to really love horses, not just competing. You have to really love working with horses just for the joy of working with horses. Yep. And then I think you have to have a lot of ability to commit and stick to a plan and not get sidetracked. And, you know, it's not easy working with horses every day. It's hard. Yeah. (laughs) And long. Mm. And Mm. it's got a lot of disappointment. So they need to be strong. Yep. And I think... One of the other persons I listened to said that they should be very resilient, and I'd have to agree. You have to be able to, like, pick yourself up when everything's falling down around you and just say, well, we're just going to keep making decisions and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing that if you're going to work with horses in this day and age, and especially in Australia, you need to have something that differentiates you from everybody else. That's sort of like a business thing, isn't it, you know, to say it's a a point of difference. It doesn't matter what business you're in. You've got to see how you are different from everybody else. Yep, yep. And you have to pursue that with determination and enthusiasm. Like there's no point just being there as a horse trainer like everybody else or a coach like everybody else. Mm. You have to find what you are, what you do best, that differentiates you from someone else. You know, whether it's the way you look after the horses or the way you your approach to training or, you know, whether you're, I don't know, just you have to be different and you have yeah. to believe in what it is you do that it makes you different. What do you think makes you different, Andrea? Well, I have a very holistic approach to horse training and I like to think that I look after every aspect of the horse, mental, physical, emotional and intellectual Mm -hmm. and that takes a lot of effort and it means that I sometimes people don't agree with me (laughs) and so I take that right through all my training and I don't sort of 
just follow, you know, people say, oh, he's difficult, he's this and that. I always try and look behind what's causing the problem. Mm-hmm. And it could be his body mightn't be right. It could be that he's emotionally not stable. It could be that he's not well or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's one thing that I'm very much different on. The other thing is that I have a system called, what I call the um, Triple S training program, which is Stronger, Straighter and Suppler. And all the horses go through that. It starts off in hand and it goes right through to their under-saddle work. Yep. And we work on getting them much more uh, even on both sides of their body. Yep. And straighter and more able to move to the saddle work. Okay. Much more kindly and more imbalanced and things like that. So I've developed that and that's what I say. You have to have something a bit different. Yep. But Apart. Yeah. I want to talk to you a bit later about that, about the holistic approach. But um, what's the best thing about working in the horse industry? Well, for me, it's very much the horses. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of really lovely people, but it always comes back to the horse. If there's a choice to make between people and horses, I'd probably always choose the horse. Yep. So I would always say I'd speak up for the horse because, you know, any confusion about what's going on, I'll always stand up for the horse. So for me, it's always the horse. I love the journey where you see a horse come into your stable and then you watch them develop and you help them turn into the best possible horse they can be. Yep. And that's what does it for me every time. Okay. Okay. What about it, someone who might have influenced you and helped you a bit in your career? Yeah. So pretty much. I'd have to say my mother, okay. because she was enormous in my life for yep. ever. And she was a very good horsewoman and taught me a lot and things. She's very strict, so, oh, my goodness, <laughs> young people today wouldn't have survived with her. She's very strict, you know, everything in its place, everything correct, no second chances. <laughs> yep. But she always, things that she always instilled in me, and I would have to say I still follow, is that, Always give the horse the benefit of the doubt. Always look to yourself for why the horse is not performing. And she usually blamed me, so and she's mostly pretty right. So I think she sort of had something in there. But you always need to sort of give the horse the opportunity to be in the right. And the other person, I think, there's two other people that have really influenced who I probably am today with my horses. And the first one was David Quick, mm-hmm. down at Murchison, who's a warm blood breeder and show jump rider. Yep. And, I credit him with giving me the opportunity and supported me to develop my own philosophy in training. He pretty much sort of encouraged me to think about what my philosophy actually was and used to talk about that a lot, about what you actually wanted to achieve and what your philosophy was about training. Mm-hmm. So he started me thinking about that. And then more recently, there's a wonderful vet called Dr. Raquel Butler, quite young, and she's just taken on a position at CSU at Wagga, the University at Wagga. She's a biomechanical vet, and I think in the last five years she's taught me more than I've ever would hope to know about soundness in horses mm-hmm. and how soundness affects them or unsoundness. Yep. yep, yep. Affects them in so many ways and affects their ability to be trained and yeah. to do the job that we ask of them. So I think that certainly helps with the holistic approach, doesn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. So now mm. I can, I feel like I can look at a horse and recognise what its limitations are, or, you know, what its body issues are, and then develop a training program to help help it, not hinder it, to try mm-hmm. and help it make it stronger, to do the job better, 
instead of just using the same methods on everybody and wondering why they're not working. Yep, yeah. What about horses? Have you got any horses who've influenced you? Yeah, look, I've had lots of horses and, you know, there's always been a couple of special ones, but I had a little um, heartbreak Arabian when we first moved up here to Albury and he was completely mad in the beginning and um, I can remember my mother saying, you know, you're going to have to sell him, he's nuts, he's crazy and I sort of thought, no, no, you know, he can jump really well. I was still doing horse trials and then and but he he was only about 15 too but he had a heart of gold and apart from the fact that he could jump amazingly and he was slightly nuts he actually gave me my first proper introduction to what it's like to ride a dressage horse properly (laughs) he had an unusually amazing canter and to just ride that was quite inspiring so he was only sort of little and strange looking, but he just had an amazing canter and every coach that ever saw him said, oh, my goodness, that horse has got an amazing canter. And it was sort of like, oh, God. And then I bred a horse that I rode to FEI and Remembrance was his name and he was just 1915 and he was an Anglo-Arabian and he was probably not made for dressage, but he was... Just a delight in a lot of ways because he was so forgiving and always gave his best. And I'm sort of always looking for his replacement, I think, mm-hmm. I think for the dressage. I'm always looking for something that's as generous as he was and accept my inability to do the job well. Yep, yep. Just going back to the part-bred Arabian that had mm. the amazing canter, because you said he had a great jump as well. Do you think the canter reflected in the jumping ability? You know, the fact that he had a great canter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it did. He was not a a good-looking horse. Like, standing at the float, he was built like a coat hanger upside down, (laughs) like Tamar. And he was a very small, tight-framed little horse. But once he got moving, he seemed to put everything the right way around. And he had very high-set hips, like a lot of the Egyptian Arabians have which normally don't work that well for dressage mm, because it makes mm. them sort of coop high. Yep. But somehow he seemed to have a double jointedness or something. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed to be able to sit and just do can pirouettes and mm, mm. just was extraordinarily capable of doing some of the high-level work, but mm, standing at the he was <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. unlikely looking. Yeah. 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 What do you think your proudest moment's been? Probably for me, riding Person George, one of the Person George tests, the first one I ever did on Remy, on Remembrance, because I felt like we won and I felt it wasn't the winning. It was the first time I actually got to ride a horse in the dressage arena that I felt like, yes, I know exactly what I'm doing. And the horse felt like a dressage horse. Yeah. Had that ability to contract and lengthen and everything came together and I can still remember riding the test and it was like a long time ago. (laughs) All of a sudden, all the blocks fell together and I thought, oh, my God, this is what it's supposed to feel like. It's good riding at a new level but winning at the same time as you're riding a new level, like you're breaking through to a new level but winning is just like the bonus on top, isn't it? Yeah, and I Mm. just thought, oh, my God, I can do it. I actually can do it. Yeah. I can make this happen. Yeah. And then, like, for me, I do a lot of rehab work on horses that other people have cast aside. So 
proud moments for me, you know, when you trot down the centre line on a horse that a couple of other stables have rejected and you go out and do a really nice dressage test and the horse is happy and content and happy to do his job. That's, for me, probably my proudest moment mm. is to mm. do that for a horse. Yeah. And not for my accolades so much. I just like to think that the horse has been given the opportunity to have, to look and to shine. Yes. Yep. Yes, and you've been able to have a part in that, which is great. Yeah. Yep. Thinking about where you are now, you know, where you are able to take in horses and teach people and do things with horses, but what's been your biggest challenge on the way to being where you are now? I think probably believing in myself. Mm-hmm. That's probably my biggest challenge. When I left CSU, I thought that was the uni I was working for, and I thought, oh, you know, this is scary. Am I going to be able to stay viable financially? Am I going to be able to physically do the job that I have to do? Am I good enough mm. to do this? Mm. You know, there was quite a bit of doubt. Yep. So I actually did... Well, my background's marketing, so mm-hmm. I actually did a bit of a marketing exercise on myself in the first 12 months when I left. And, you know, I sat down and looked at the market and thought, well, what do I do differently? And that's why I say that would be my best bit of advice for people is to seriously look at what you do and how is that different or better or mm. more unique than the other people. And so from that point on, when I worked out what I did best and why I was different, then it became easier. Yes, it's a very good piece of marketing advice, so it's not surprising that your background's in marketing. Yeah, and I did a lot of, like I went and talked to people and I I asked customers, I said, why why do you actually come to me? Mm. Yep. (laughs) You know, what is it that I give you? Because I didn't really understand that at that time. Now I do. Now I understand what I give to people and that's, helps me grow the business Mm. and be able to do what I do without compromising and having to, you know, cut corners. And so you have to have courage to do it, but that would be my best bit of advice for people because I've probably come in at a later stage in life. I was, you know, much older than people would be. They might start young. Yep. So someone comes in that wants to work with horses is going into business because there's a couple of different things, you know, sometimes people work with horses they work for someone else but then if you're working for yourself you're not just got to have the horse skills you've got to have the business skills as well you have to have the business skills. Mm, mm. like you can't make it work otherwise yeah yep. and it's hard it's like running any small business i mean anybody who runs a business would understand there's mm. a lot to take on board and it's hard it's, it's quite challenging to keep motivated to keep the business coming in. That's the other challenge that I find. I, mm-hmm. I get so involved in my business, working horses, and but to actually step back and say, right, I still need to keep the communication outside that, yep. that's quite hard. Yep, yep. Thinking about, and I want you to think about the holistic approach, what's a common fault that you see with riders, trainers, handlers? What are they missing that you're picking up in this whole holistic approach? You know, how can you fix it? What do you go in and do to make it better? Well, I can sum that up in one sentence, that people don't listen to their horses with their eyes and their ears. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I always say that horses communicate to us, 
but we either ignore it, we're not able to understand what they're saying, or we just refuse to hear it. So what I find with horses that come to me for rehab, and most of them have been for a couple of stables before they get to me, is that there will be something that is causing the horse to be difficult. So is the horse suffering from some sort of unsoundness that they're not actually acknowledging? So if the horse was, just go in a little bit deeper, how are the horses communicating? You know, what sort of signals are they giving you that other people aren't picking up? Because you're saying that horses aren't listening. Horses communicate with us, but sometimes they can be so subtle. So what sort of signals would they be giving us? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I've become very in tune with what horses tell me. Yep. So, yep. for example, I've got a young horse in here now that. He was started somewhere else and he is, was came to me a complete lunatic. Mm-hmm. So he must have had an injury on the offside of his body at some point in time that no one has recognised or acknowledged. And he had the inability to flex his pole to the left and his eyes were tiny. Like every time he tried to do things with him, he would just shut down and he'd make his eyes really narrow. Mm-hmm. And look cranky, like really cranky. Yep, yep. So but he had all this, so on the offside jaw, at the back of his jaw near his gullet, he had all this thickening, and he had thickening through his gullet, nobody had acknowledged. It was fairly yep. obvious to me, but, and so he couldn't flex to the left. And he was, obviously he got problems up in his pole and his jaw and around his ears, and, and that was just causing him to be cranky all the time and very uncooperative and also he had the off hind which was obviously related to his injury whatever he did he had a he was quite sore in his hip Mm -hmm. no one could see that yep and they just kept saying oh this horse is cranky so we had body work done on him we did hair tests on him we you know worked very hard on listening to him to find out what was wrong with him so and you're really taken, looking, I'll just go in a bit more, you're really looking at his eyes, you know, to see that there was a pain there and noticing his eyes, you know, noticing that there was the narrowing in the eyes. And Yeah, his eyes were really small. Yep. They were yep. small and frowning and he had a very big upper, like I don't know whether you call it the lid, like the, the eyebrow area yep. was really yep. pronounced. Yep. And he used to curl his nostrils up a little bit, like, mm-hmm. in a, and then he used to open his mouth you know, like when you'd ask him to do like flex at the pole and move his shoulders around or something yep, yep. in hand, he would open his mouth up like he was in pain. Almost trying to show you to have a look in his mouth, isn't he? Yeah. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. What about this, because you said um, the stifle, was it? There was pain there? Yeah, no, he, yeah. Was sore, he was sore in his hip area because he obviously, huh. he must have smashed down on the right-hand side or something when okay. he was wherever he was before. Yep. So he had a sore hip, he had a sore shoulder, and he had a sore and head. So to do with the hip and shoulder, how did you find that? Was there like a shortness in the gait or you were pushing and moving him away? Yeah, a little bit of a shortness in the he couldn't move the quarters over. Okay. Properly. Like okay. He pushed him around in a tunnel. So the, the lateral work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. So I do a lot of in hand work to sort of see what's happening with them. Mm. But mostly mm. you could just see in his face that he was in pain. Yeah. But other signals are things like how they hold the tail. Yep. Yep. If they hold it in a strange manner, like straight out. I had another one that kept its tail straight out, like a rod. Yep. That's not correct. Yep. That's there's something wrong in their back when you're doing that. And I think telling people what to actually look for is beneficial because if they're having problems with a horse or they can't quite see it, they can go out and have a look at the horse's eyes and push the horse around and see if it can move, you know, properly and just ask him to move away one side, move away the other side and do some work in hand to see. So I think that that's beneficial to people when you say that, yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that people just need to listen. Like I had a saddle fitting done on a horse the other day and I know the saddle fitter did a good job and I agreed with her that the saddle was better. Mm. It looked better. Yep. The horse hated it. Mm. Mm. He hated it. Yep. He's got a strange ribs carriage. He lifts his ribs really high when he trots. Yep. And I don't know whether that's the problem, but he was working perfectly and then we changed the saddle and I sat in it and he didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, it's just the horse. I said, no, he doesn't like it. You know, he's telling me the best way he can that this is not comfortable. Yep. So, you know, you need to take on board what they say. You need mm. to say, well, he's not just being a pig. He's actually telling me this doesn't fit properly anymore. Yep. Yep. And I find that most people don't give the horse the benefit of the doubt or they don't give the horse the opportunity to actually have its voice heard. Mm-hmm. They're very quick to reprimand the horse and say that the horse is bad or the horse is misbehaving, not, hmm, that's a bit odd. He doesn't normally do that. Why is he doing that today? Yeah. So they're very quick to, you know, apply guilt to the horse. And I actually find horses are pretty generous, and 99% of them want to do a good job. It's mm-hmm. given the opportunity. Yep. All right. Now, Andrew, have you got a book that you could recommend for our listeners? Probably the book I've recommended the most to pupils yep. is Going to Boys, The Winning Feeling. Yes. And I still follow Joan mm-hmm. on the internet. Yep. I still follow her readings. She's still writing. She's got some interesting things. She's quite insightful. She's very good for the motivational getting over problems. Mm-hmm. But she's actually, some of her material is quite good. So I always recommend her. Yep. And probably the one that had the most influence on me in most recent times is any of Manola Mendez's writing. Okay. And his DVD, Training for Wellness. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether you know him. He's a trainer down in Victoria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't recommend books particularly like How to Train Horses, and but the Jane Savoy book I do recommend a lot because I find okay. that most people seem to struggle with making it happen on a competition situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And her book's quite easy to read and Good. they like that. Andrea, what are you looking forward to now? What does your future hold? Uh, more of the same. <laughs> <laughs> Staying fit and healthy. Yep. Yeah, it's nice when you say more of the same because you're really happy with where you are right now, you know, thinking of someone who'd sort of worked in a corporate industry but now working with horses and you're just saying, yep, more of the same. It's more of what I want to keep doing. Yeah, more of the same. Probably a little more hard work and more me riding in competitions and training beautiful horses. Yep. Which would be lovely, but, you know, the reality is that I'll still probably be cleaning out stables and (laughs) things like that. But I am... Try and write a couple of books. That's my big sort of new thing. 
Okay. The adventure. When you've written the books, you'll have to come back and um, talk to us about them and yeah, that'll be good. So that's my big adventure. Hopefully okay. I can get them done in the next, you know, eternity. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Writing books seems to go on forever. Yeah. Andrea, if you can sum up your philosophy with horses in a few sentences, that'd be great. But my philosophy is that you have to really love the horses and you have to give every horse the opportunity to be the best they can be. And that's the philosophy we have here. I try, it doesn't matter what they look like, I want to try and give them the best opportunity to shine and be the best they can be. doesn't matter what colour they are or size or shape. That's what we think. No, that's good. That's good. Andrea, how can people contact you? They can go to my website, which is www.arandus.com.au or we've got Arandus Performance Horses Facebook mm-hmm. and my phone number. I saw right, and if you miss those details, they'll be on Andrea's page on Horse Chats, which will be horsechats.com slash Andrea Williams. Or just go to horsechats.com and search for Andrea or search for Williams and you'll find her. Andrea, that's been wonderful talking to us today. I've enjoyed you coming in with your holistic approach and I think that's absolutely correct, you know, that differentiation just make yourself a little bit different to the coach down the road or the riding school down the road or even the saddlery down the road, you know, making something that you do a little bit different, a little bit better and allow them to differentiate. And then people can choose very easily which one they're going to. But if you keep thinking, well, I'm just going to be a bit different, but I'm going to be better than everyone else and put it out there that you are and follow up, of course. Yeah, I think some thriving horse businesses around. So that's great. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 